Pentecost. The reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This can be found in the Church Bibles on page 1093. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, on this day that we uh, recall those great events of that uh, Pentecost day and the coming of your Spirit, open our hearts, open our minds now, and let us receive more of you, Lord, as we go through the rest of this service and into the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I'll be honest with you, I've never been a big one for waiting, you know, waiting around. I, I, um, uh, some of you will know I work in the hotel industry, so I spend a lot of time in hotels. And you, know, you get in the hotel lift, and those doors don't close automatically, do they? When you're waiting for the doors to close, and li- I'm looking for that door, that door, close, now, lift, close. Because I just, I, I just don't like hanging around that two or three seconds. I could be doing something else. Well, standing there waiting for the lift to go up, probably. But it's just, it's annoying. I think that's one of the reasons why um, uh, box sets are so popular, right? Uh, Everybody watches series these days. Why bother waiting for next week's episode when you can download them all at once and just binge watch to your heart's content, right? Nobody, nobody likes waiting. But unfortunately... We do have to do it, don't we? And in our Christian experience, I think, most of all, we spend a lot of time waiting because God works in his own time. 
And we often spend time waiting for prayers to be answered, waiting for God to act, for him to move. So as we step into this uh, Pentecost story uh, that we heard at 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 the beginning of Acts, in Acts 2, that we've just heard read, that's exactly where we find the disciples. They're waiting. And to continue our, uh, our box set analogy, uh, the first series of On Mission with Jesus has ended. Jesus has ascended back to heaven. But now they're waiting for part two. You see, before Jesus left, he promised his disciples that part two would begin very soon. Uh, at the end of Luke's gospel, he says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then in Acts 1, verse 5, he says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I want to emphasize here that it is still, we are still, and it was then still, on mission with Jesus. He may only appear briefly in physical form in the first nine or so verses uh, of Acts, but his presence permeates absolutely everything that happens next. Not as some historical figure to be remembered and revered, but as a living, loving reality. Someone that can still be followed and trusted and loved. And his mission is about to continue just as it continues to this day. So let's remind ourselves what that mission is and was. Jesus was all about bringing the kingdom of God on earth. Or bringing about the kingdom of God on earth with the ultimate goal of establishing, as it says in the book of Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth that is open to all nations and all creation there to be reconciled before God. Now, as the disciples are waiting for part two of this mission to begin, they probably haven't quite grasped that they're about to become key actors in an event that has cosmic significance. You see, this divine transaction is underway. As Jesus ascends from the earthly realm to the heavenly realm in his transformed, resurrected physical body, or we could call it, we could call it in some ways a physical plus body, right? I mean, we, we, we know from the Gospels, his post-resurrection body, that he eats and he walks and he talks and you can touch his wounds, but he appears and disappears at will and he seems to be able to go into rooms with locked doors. So he's got a, a sort of a, a physical plus body. And this body ascends into heaven. And in return, in the second part of this transaction, the Holy Spirit is going to pour out of the heavenly realm to transform, transform the earth. I think it's captured quite nicely in, in this painting here of Christ ascending and, and almost the Spirit breaking away from him and descending back into earth. But hold on. I'm, uh, I'm getting my head of myself a little bit because we're not quite there yet. The clock is still ticking. In chapter 1 of Acts, we're told about two specific things that the disciples did after Jesus' ascension. The first is they chose Matthias to replace Judas Iscariot and so restored the group to 12. And then in Acts 1, 14, we read this, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. As they waited, they prayed. 
And in this past 10 days, as Claire has been, uh, has been saying uh, a little bit earlier, we've all been uh, uh, participating in Thy Kingdom Come. And, and that, uh, an event that has now become effectively global, aimed at saturating the world with prayer so that more people can come to know Christ. I wonder, just as a matter of interest, do a straw poll. How many of you were able to, to come down and participate that, either in, up in the prayer room or at one of the prayer services here? Um, probably a little, a little under half, maybe just over a third. That's not bad. That's not bad. But you know what? Unless we've got the fundamentals right of prayer, of praying, and the importance of prayer, then we're going to struggle. Because we see wherever we look in Scripture that the importance of prayer cannot be overstated. If we want to see God move in this country, if we want to see him move in our neighborhoods, then we've got to pray. And if you're waiting for God to act in your life for something specific, then we should be praying. And if you don't seem to be getting an answer to prayer, pray more. Because the disciples were focused on prayer as they were together. And it says they prayed constantly. And that's a model that we need to follow. An interesting question here. Did the disciples know that the Holy Spirit would come at Pentecost? We're not told. Um, We don't know from Scripture. But Pentecost was a significant date. And in hindsight, we can see God's purpose in moving on that particular day, on that at that event. Because for clarity here, in case uh, you weren't sure, Pentecost did not start with our Christian celebration of Pentecost. It was an existing Jewish celebration, also called the Festival of Weeks. And it occurred 50 days after Passover, hence Pente, Pentecost, 50th. But as with so many Jewish festivals, Festival of Weeks, Pentecost, actually had its roots back in the exodus from Egypt. Fifty days after entering the wilderness, Moses went up Mount Sinai to receive God's law, enshrined in the Ten Commandments, written on tablets of stone, and then brought down to the people. Now on this new Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is going to signify a new agreement in that the Spirit of God will descend to be written in our hearts, which was a direct fulfillment of the prophecy in Jeremiah. And these are words that uh, many of you will be familiar with from Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. This is the covenant, covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And this fulfillment comes in that great act of the Spirit descending at Pentecost. So, the day of Pentecost arrives. The disciples are all together in one place. It doesn't say that they were praying at this point, but I would think it's a reasonable assumption to say that they were. And then suddenly, suddenly, I love that word, suddenly, out of the blue, suddenly, from nowhere, suddenly, God acts, God moves. And in an instant, all that agonized waiting is over. I'm reminded, I don't know why, but as I was putting this sermon together, what came to mind 
was that wonderful story in the Gospels of where the, the, the woman who has been suffering from bleeding for all those years, 12 years, touches Jesus' cloak and we're told immediately she's healed. And I know there are, there are obviously many, many stories in the Gospels of that suddenly, of that immediately, of Jesus meeting a need that had gone on for years or even since birth. And I know, I know, I know that it doesn't always work like that. But we can only live in expectant hope that God will enact one of his suddenlies for something that we're praying for. Suddenly, the house where the disciples are meeting is filled with sound like a mighty wind. There are tongues of fire. They're filled with the Spirit and they begin to speak in other languages. This is an overwhelming, multisensory assault. They hear the wind. They see the fire. They speak in tongues. And not surprisingly, with all of this commotion going on, a crowd starts to gather. And because it's a festival in Jerusalem, the city is full of foreigners. And they hear these provincial, uneducated Galileans speaking in their languages and declaring the wonders of God. It's like, it's like the Tower of Babel story in reverse. You remember that, that, that story from Genesis, the Tower of Babel? It comes just after we hear about the great flood. What we read back in Genesis is that mankind at that time spoke with one language and decided to build a tower to the heavens, which was essentially an act of ego and pride and an attempt to usurp God's authority. But God confounds their plans by scattering them across the earth and confusing their language, essentially using division to quell rebellion. Now at Pentecost... Those cultural and ethnic divisions were being swept away, and the message is loud and clear. Salvation is available to people of all nations, based not on nationality, but on faith in Jesus the Messiah. And the reaction of the crowds was typically split. Right? I love this bit, and, and I, it was funny that that last sentence of the scripture came up kind of on its own, because some people said, well, what does this mean? And then that last bit, ah, they're just drunk. They're drunk. They've been drinking. They're on the bottle. Interesting reaction. Let's, let's have a look at those two reactions. Let's look at that second reaction first. Because that's interesting, isn't it? They're drunk. They're drunk. They're intoxicated. What would make them think that? Well, obviously, they're, they're shouting out praise in new languages. Probably a bit giddy. Maybe staggering around a little bit. Clearly quite joyful. It's interesting because when we read on into the book of Acts, we know that the Holy Spirit empowered and emboldened the disciples to do the most incredible things. But Pentecost was not just about this sort of filling up of the disciples with, a, with kind of a heavenly fuel. We know that God is a God of love. That God is love. God is love to his very core and he loves us, humanity is the object of his love. So when the Holy Spirit descended on those disciples, what they heard was the wind and what they saw was the fire, but what they experienced was to be utterly and completely drenched in, in, in a vat load of undiluted, pure, unadulterated love. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was, was, was actually a most outrageous act of intimacy on the part of our loving Heavenly Father. So no wonder people thought the disciples were drunk. What do you expect when you've been overwhelmed by love? Think about any love-struck teenager 
You don't need to coax information out of them, do you, about the object of their passion. It's written all over their grinning faces. They can't stop talking about how wonderful life is. They write bad poetry and make up love songs in the shower. When we're filled and being refilled and filled again with the Holy Spirit, then doesn't it seem natural somehow that God's love is going to pour out from us and into the world to our neighbors and our friends, to work colleagues? What does this mean, asked the crowd on that first Pentecost? Good question. What does it mean? What does it mean for us now? This is, uh, this is the point at which I do in front of you a little bit of soul searching and maybe you join in if you feel the same way. Because I've been coming to St. Paul's now for, uh, uh, how long, Annie? Nearly 20 years, I think, we've been coming here. Over that time, we have had so many evangelistic and missional initiatives. Those of you who've been around a while, you'll remember uh, Just Walk Across the Room More recently, we've had Contagious Christian. This year, of course, we're just coming to the end of this On Mission with Jesus uh, series. And I have to say, whenever we do one of these programs, I I feel a bit challenged. Because too often, I feel personally that I'm getting involved maybe more out of a sense of duty than of joy. Sharing faith can too often feel too much like an obligation. I remember with the Contagious Christian series, there was a a lot of talk around strategies for overcoming fear and rejection of people saying no or or rejecting us in some way. And there's a a part of me that can't help but feel that if if I was more spirit-filled, if my motivation was more driven from an unquenchable desire to share God's love, then surely those issues should take care of themselves. Does anyone here feel the same way? A couple of brave souls put your hands up. I didn't, you didn't need to, but thank you. When I return to this Pentecost story and see how the gospel message flowed so naturally from the disciples and with such conviction, I feel very humbled and quite honestly a bit inadequate. Am I being hard on myself? Am I being too hard on all of us? Were the events of Pentecost just a one-off, never to be repeated? I suppose in a way, yes, in the sense that that moment in time that saw the inaugural coming of the Spirit marking the beginning of the church, well, of course, that, that can't be recreated. That was special. But on the other hand, God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. He's still a God of love. His passion for us individually and collectively has not cooled. And he longs for us to experience that overwhelming sense of his love, to give us that thorough, spiritual, deep clean. He's desperate to bless us and shower us with gifts so that we can bring glory to him. He wants us to be as contagious for Christ as those first disciples. Now, the Spirit will not always come with the kind of drama that we saw at that first Pentecost. And we should certainly be cautious about making God conform to our own expectations of how he will act. And it may well be a very different experience for each of us. And if we're Christians, of course, we've already received the Holy Spirit. But being spiritually filled is not a one-off act. It's not a one-off event. We should always be praying for more. Because the truth is, 
we can do astonishing things if the Spirit leads us. But nothing if he doesn't. It's the Spirit that helps us to follow Jesus. The Spirit convicts us of sin. It's the Spirit that opens up Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruits, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the Holy Spirit that offers gifts for service, words of knowledge, faith, healing, powers, prophecy, tongues. And if the Spirit is moving in such a powerful way in church, surely people outside the church should notice. I think one of the most striking things about the passage in Acts is that it provokes such a reaction from the gathered crowds. And it begs the question as to whether we as a church, and I don't just mean here, but nationally, internationally, as to whether we have enough spiritual energy to attract any comments from others at all. Do we want that spiritual energy? I mean, it's offered freely, but it's not forced upon us. I have a quote here from uh, John Peters, who many of the, those of you who go to New Wine will know John Peters. He's one of the stalwarts of New Wine. He also happens to be the rector of St. Mary, Bryanston Square in London. But he said this, Many people have preferred various forms of Christian religion to the reality of a relationship with Jesus, whether they know they're doing this or not. That's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? That we might consciously or otherwise be hiding behind a kind of religious screen that actually prevents us from going deeper in our relationship with Christ. At the beginning of the sermon, I talked about the big picture of Pentecost and of the, of the, of the mission of Jesus to bring about God's kingdom on earth. I just want to put that in context in terms of what we see around us today. Because the world we're living in now, in my view, has not felt this uncertain for more than a generation. Certainly not in my lifetime. There's all the isms, terrorism, nationalism, protectionism, racism, sexism. Walls are being built, literally and metaphorically. We're killing the planet. Here at home... Our political system is in turmoil and we're hopelessly divided over Brexit such that relationships within families and between friends have become badly damaged or broken. I think one of the most uh, startling and, and shocking things that's emerged over the last, I guess over several years, but it's really come to the fore in the last couple of years, is, is, the, is the emergence of mental health as a major issue. I don't know if you're reading the papers, but even just this last week, there was a, a report that says that self-harming has risen to such an extent that now one in five girls and young women in England, aged 16 to 24, have either cut, burned, or poisoned themselves. One in five? And I still think it's absolutely incredible, this statistic, you're probably familiar with it anyway, that suicide is the single biggest killer of men under 45 in this country. It's shocking. Now, I know it's not all doom and gloom out there. I know it's not. There's some amazing stuff going on. But the fact is there are so many people around us who seem to have no hope or sense of where the future is leading them. If ever there was a time for the church to step up in the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, it is now. If ever there was a need for the light and the hope and the grace and the love of the gospel, it is now because people are hurting. And we have the remedy. 
the gift of the Spirit is not given for us to guard and protect as a personal possession. It's given to us personally and collectively to equip us to be active participants in challenging and changing and healing the sickness in the world that is causing the kinds of issues that I've just been talking about. None of us can do this in our own strength. None of us can do this in our own strength. We can only pray this morning and ongoing that God will graciously bless us with more of his love, with more of his spirit, and that he would change us so much inwardly that we can't help but follow his lead and go on mission with Jesus willingly with hearts full of joy and thanksgiving. And as Claire said uh, a few moments ago, I want to give us all an opportunity to get catch some of that spirit, some of that fire that came with that first Pentecost, to instill within us, inspire within us that flame to be able to carry this message willingly and joyfully out to those around us. So hopefully you'll take that opportunity, come and be anointed as we go into prayers for healing. Amen.